I don't care what you're coming out of. When you look at people who have done well over time through the process, they've recognized this is what I can control mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'm going to do something about it and I'm going to make choices. And so when people do well in life, it is never just one choice. They put themselves in a pattern of making good choices. So what's this podcast all about, this financial sobriety thing we're doing? It certainly isn't a traditional conversation about money. There's lots of great people in our industry that talk the traditional game. This is going to be a very unconventional conversation about those three unbelievably complicated relationships that when you put them all together, you don't necessarily think of them this way, but the relationship that you have with money, the relationship you have with your people that mean the most to you, and then the relationship that you have with the person in the mirror. You mean those three relationships go together? They do, and it's a very complex interrelationship between them. And when those get a little bit out of whack, interesting things happen. Do you know anything about that? We should probably introduce ourselves. Who oh, are you? good idea. Jim Gephardt. And I'm Matthew Grishman. I'm your author of the book, Financial Sobriety, and we are going to have some great conversations, so stick around. Hi, Ace here producer for Financial Sobriety. For those of you familiar with the program, you may recognize today's guest as somebody that's been in on a prior episode, Dr. Joyce Michael Flynn. If you're new to the program, welcome. You can hear Dr. Michael Flynn's full story and how it applies to each of us in episodes 68 and 69. Her process for dealing with trauma and going from post-traumatic stress to post-traumatic growth is quite compelling. With the effects of COVID now dissipating, there's a hangover that exists. Her program, Metahabilitation, was the perfect solution to apply to part of this financial COVID hangover, trauma, if you will, to give us a way to look at, a way to accept how we're handling our own situation and how we might be able to better deal with the consequences of uncertainty going forward. We have our very dear friend, <laughs> Back I in studio that. today, Dr. Joyce Michael Flynn, thank you for coming in today. There, there's a couple things I was hoping we could do today. You, you and I were talking a little bit about dual agendas, so to speak. First, we haven't seen you in way too long. I know. So it's... one of the things we'd love to do is just catch up with you okay. personally, professionally, what's going on in life, and, and we're going to do that. And then this conversation that we're starting to have you know, there's some stuff happening in our world that's been happening in our world. And being able to specifically, Jim and I were talking a little bit about this idea of a COVID hangover. Right. And how that's perpetuating and complicating things. And, you know, here we are coming off of 2022, economically one of the most challenging years we've had as a, as a nation, as a people, as a global society in a very long time. And when you put all of that in a blender... The COVID hangover, the economic challenges of 22, that's leaving a mark on people. We're seeing it every day in our world, in our families, in the mirror. When we just look at the person in the mirror, we see the effect. We're seeing it in our spouses, our children, our clients, our friends. So just having a little conversation about what's happening in the world and in your world of Metahab, mm -hmm applying some of those tools 
to try to address some of these things and try to make some adjustments to how our own experience is showing up in this world today. Right. Adding right. tools so, to the tool bag. Yeah. So that that's kind of the two big conversations I'd like to have today. As we go through this conversation, though, I will have to say there's a lot that has evolved for me in terms of thinking things through sure. and recognizing what has prompted growth mm-hmm. and what has stifled it. Mm. The good news is that we're in control of both of those. I have a grandson, 12 years old, super excited. He's a good baseball player, big kid. The other day he was playing baseball, got up, hit the first time, jacked, went out 320 feet. Wow. Good kid. But when you talk to him, this is what I took him to a basketball game in Oakland, and we were just talking on the way there and back, and he started telling me, yeah, you know, um, Mimi, I... I said something about his phone. Do you have your phone? He goes, no, you know, I decided I don't bring my phone with me if I'm going to practice or play a game because I figured out it's kind of distracting to me. How and old I'm is he, young man? 12. Wow. 12. And then he said, and then we started talking about other things. He goes, you know, and then I started thinking about, you know, what I'm going to eat. And so, like, I always like to make, before I play, I make this spinach, egg, cheese, but and I make it for myself and I eat that. And you start to look at this, and this is now... How old is he? 12. Uh-huh. But you can tell this came from parents, too. Sure, yeah. Who said, I'm not taking care of that for you. I went over to take care of them. Their younger son, Bryson, who's like this uber great athlete, he had a couple of things he had to go to. So I said, hey, Bryson, you have your stuff ready? Yeah. I go in his room and he literally has everything laid out as if a person was in the uniform. He has the shirt, the pants, the socks, the shoes, all that. He's 10. Now, this is the kind of stuff that you go, the, they have this practice, this strategy. How am I going to succeed? I prepare. Mm-hmm. I discipline myself. I eat good stuff. They may not understand all the science that I understand behind that, like sure. what's happening in that brain. But intuitively, and all that. they're picking but up. But they are picking up. Yeah. This is how. So the same thing. They make good choices and they take control of what they can control. Mm-hmm. It's really not hard. It you know it's <laughs> it's not it's not hard. But they live in a time and a place where the level of distraction and the choice that's available oh, yeah. to them has never been like this before. Yeah. So they they are doing they as in is it your daughter and son-in-law mm-hmm. are doing an exquisite job of demonstrating leadership to those kids mm-hmm. and having them be responsible, right? Because my oldest daughter's first grade teacher said something that was so powerful, it still rings true in our heads today, which is you're raising your children to leave you. My father told me that I raise you to go away. I raise you to be a citizen and to go away. I, my job is to, is to be able to function in that world out there. So a, a, a word that I've never used in the studio, but is one of my mother's favorites. Is this going to become can't a believe, regular? I can't believe I haven't used this word. You holding out there, that? You holding out no, son of a gun? There's no point in molly coddling them. We got that, a new word. That molly coddling. That I love it. That is so much of the helicopter parent today is... Well, I gotta take I gotta take care of Johnny because you know. Well, it's just you know I, I gotta I gotta do this I gotta do that I gotta do this I gotta do that. When I hear stories like that, I immediately think those young boys are hired. 
Well, right? Let's hire them in six to 12 years. What it sounds, absolutely. I mean, I was going to say, I'm, I'm going to predict your grandson's futures here, but I think we all know what that looks like already. What your daughter and son-in-law have done a brilliant job of mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is stepping out of their way and allowing them to develop a relationship with preparation in a way that so few parents allow their children the space to do. It seems like this Because they want to take care of Right, they want to take care of everything, but they have given them the gift of, hey, if you want to be on this basketball team, then there's a certain amount of preparation that needs to happen. Mm -hmm. And it's not just stretching before practice. Right. It's preparing the right meal. It's laying out the clothes. It's getting the mindset ready all through these different physical behaviors that most adults, I would argue, struggle to have a relationship with, that preparation, right. to have that choice and that control. That's well, you beautiful. know, and it all goes down to when you talk about the prep, if you want to go way back, goes, you know, to Socrates with habituation. You habituate behaviors. He used the perfect example was the soldier. And you practice, 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 and you habituate this mindset and this behavior so that you get on that battlefield. And you see this with athletes all the time. They just do it. And mm-hmm. afterwards you Muscle go, memory. well, how, how, how come you, you know, like a, a, goal, a soccer goalie, how come you need to, I just need to go that way. Mm-hmm. Well, that's kind of true. But what happened was the hours of watching film, of prepping, of looking at what happens. So when you get there, you've habituated this mindset, this behavior, this activity. So you get there and it just, it, your body just says, this is what I'm going to do. Yep. There's no thinking. Yeah. Right. The body takes over yeah. when the brain gets in the way. Yeah. There's no thinking your way through this. You're prepared in such a way where this is just, this is what you do. And yeah. as a result of that, there's also no stress in the process. Yeah. Because right. you, the stress all happened in the rehearsal. In the prep. Yep. In the prep. In the prep. So what are you grateful for today? Oh, that is such a great word. Well, I am grateful. I am actually grateful to to be able to think about, to talk about, and to share insights and also, you know, just brought about by not only a personal experience, but the research that I've done that I know supports this, but to share that with people in general because people need to hear how good they are, how great they are, the capacity that they have. So I'm grateful to be able to recognize that. When you talked about, and you said something about, you know, skill sets, I always go, I'm not teaching you anything. (laughs) This is stuff you already know. Yeah. All these pieces of advice, all these experiences, all this are just unfolding, unearthing the capacity within you. Mm And unless and until you are pushed up against, you might not recognize those. You might not see those. So I was just watching a, a thing on Netflix, and I love it. It's called Human Playground. And really, you know, one of the episodes is on pain. And it's so interesting. I love this. It says, pain is the portal to the meaning of life. Wow. I thought that was awesome. And I thought, we're coming off of like you said, the COVID situation, hangover. And you look at even that notion of hangover. Why do you still have that? Mm -hmm. Hangover means you keep doing it and you get hungover. And the next day you go, I don't want to do that again. I'm not going to drink. But you do it again, you get hungover. 
we should be moving past hangover and saying, okay, this was tough. So, so one of the, th- there's several things that we can embrace as a result of that. And that's number one thing is very rarely do all humans face a similar beast. And we had the opportunity to all face that beast. And so, and to see collectively our humanity and how to get through that. That's the number one good thing. Number two good thing is to come out of this and realize that you're emerging. What did you learn? How do you want to be now? These are teachable unbelievable, teachable moments. So I say to my students even, I don't want to waste this opportunity. And then the other thing I always like to talk about is words. I'm not a linguist, but words I just think are so powerful. And I get nervous about ratcheting up the rhetoric sometimes. Mm -hmm. Being careful about the words that we use and the meaning that we attach to them. So as an example, too, and this is what I think is the hangovers up, because we this is a mental health crisis. I'm not saying it is not, but then can we also say it is bringing forth an amazing opportunity? Sure. So this is a mental health crisis as well as a mental health opportunity. What you're trying to delineate in our language is this isn't happening to us. This is happening for us. And actually, that's the, I was out for a run, and that came to me. I go, I need to help people recognize not only what this did to them, but also what this did for them. Right. And and the answer to that might take time, right? Oh, we're, it, we're so quick to react to what's happening right now. It's so hard for so many people we spend time with to think that this could reveal itself as something beneficial to you way, way down the road, you just have to have some faith in that. You have to have some awareness to the possibility of that. Mm-hmm. You, are you familiar yes. with Anna Lemke's recent book, Dopamine Nation? It was New York Times bestseller. I know. I've, I have not read it, it, but I know, yeah. Fascinating. That they want that it's, dopamine it's, surge. It's powerful. She, she, it, dopamine she, surge. Has, she wrote this entire book based on are, I'm trying to think of the right word, because just based on our relationship now with pain and how we have this horrible relationship with pain where we're using every possible strategy, tool, (laughs) beverage, food, technology, technology, anything we can get our hands on to not just lower pain, but to eliminate it. Right. And what that's done societally on our ability to process pain and what that's done to create this dopamine nation on how we're constantly in search of dopamine to eliminate the pain. Quick fix, quick fix, quick fix. Everywhere we go. Yeah. Fascinating. So much of what you said in the beginning of our conversation on choice and control. Yeah. Yes. That is such a big part of it in the context of how we like to say this is happening for us, not to us. You have to slow down your thinking and your thought process around what's happening to you to flip it to the other side of the coin, which is where is the opportunity in this? I love the fact that we are in an era where there is so much conversation about mental health and the crisis that is out there with raging levels of depression and anxiety and teen suicide and all the other horrific things that are happening in the mental health world. 
because it's getting us to acknowledge and start to have more conversation about it, which is why your MetaHab work is so timely and powerful. What are you grateful for today? I'm grateful to be here. I'm grateful to be in studio to be able to talk about these things and to be able to hopefully raise the bar a half an inch with giving our audience and our community some tools. Because I I see it every day with the, the clients and my friends and Everybody wants more, more. And in what I'm saying specifically there is tools to try to help their own community, mm-hmm. their own tribe, whether it's their children, whether it's their aging parents, whether it's their next door neighbor on how do we get through this? Mm-hmm. And why for some does it appear that this was no big whoopee? Well, that's all the research I do sure. <laughs> is looking at. How about it. that, Lee? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's good. Well, what that's are you awesome. grateful for? Well, thank you for yeah. asking. Wow. I'm usually grateful for a lot, and today is no exception to that. I am grateful for living today in the greatest time in human history. I hear... Bullshit. I hear so many people. No, it's not. Uh-huh. I hear so many people talk Come on, about how the world is off its axis. It is. Everything's a mess. Exactly. There's no water, there's no food, there's no gas, there's no there's too much sun, there's too much heat. If you don't live below the 42nd parallel, you're going to fry. Hey, and too much water now in Sacramento. Can you say, believe that? Yeah, Deluge yeah. of water. <laughs> if you think back in human history, yeah. we have been trying to kill each other since the beginning of time. Turn on National Geographic and watch a special about lion prides. And they're constantly battling other lion prides for territory. Are there lions in Sacramento? No, but there are in the Sahara, <laughs> in the uh, Kalahari. Thank, thank heavens, there are still lions left. Never have, I, I don't know. I, I read history books, and never have we been in a time where more of us are at peace with each other, more of us having conversation about accepting one another for who we are. We're addressing these mental health issues that we're all just stuffed in a closet, and never talked about. We're talking openly about alcoholism and addiction and money problems and mm-hmm. and not how to survive, but how to thrive. Mm-hmm. And we're having conversations with people who have different views on the world with each other because we're starting to use this really cool thing called empathy again, mm-hmm. where, you know, Joyce, you may have grown up halfway around the world in a different place than I did, and you have different filters with how you see the world. I'm not going to try to change your values and how you see the world. I'd like to understand more. about where you came from and why you see the world the way you see the world. Because guess what comes from that? When we can start seeing some unity in the problems that we have as a society, we can start then talking Mm -hmm. about common solution. Mm -hmm. And if I can understand the world from your point of view without having to try to change it, whether that's your view on vaccines, politics, religion, all of these really divisive things that nobody wants to sit and have a conversation about because they're so afraid of somebody being different. But I'm seeing more of that now than we've ever seen in history. The fact that we are more inclusive as a society, these different movements that are popping up, it just, it, to me, that tells me we live in the greatest time in history. And I am so grateful for that because as screwed up as the world is, I'd sure rather be living here today than when Adolf Hitler was trying to exterminate my entire species of people or when the Romans were trying to do that or when the Russians were trying to do that, right? As much pain and suffering as there is still in the world today, there is a lot less of it 
than there was 100 years ago, 200 years ago, 1,000 years ago, 5,000 years ago. So you've answered a question that I've been wondering for a while now. You did, yes. you did get rid of cable TV. I did get rid of cable TV. <laughs> okay. And even, even though Amy still likes to watch the morning news, what I now do when the morning news is on in my house, headphones go on because we, we don't really have a lot of private rooms in our home. It's kind of one big living space. I will put my headphones on, put my daily comm app on, I will listen to a little meditation and the birds chirping and I open the windows and watch the sunrise and I know there's problems in the world. That's the, equivalent of the, need, mo- that's it, the equivalent of the morning news. My morning news. <laughs> where I get my news is I open the windows and I see this beautiful sunrise and that's all I need to know first thing in the morning. Choice and, and control. control. Yes. going to say that yes. right there. That's what I'm grateful for. That's awesome. All right. Well, that's a wrap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we we can either choose to look at everything that's wrong in the world and constantly stay focused on that problem, or we can choose to look at what's right in the world. And I choose to look at what's right in the world. Because if I spend all my time looking at what's wrong in the world, guess what I'm going to wind up doing? You're going to see more problems. I'm going to pick up a drink. I can guarantee that. I'm going to start drinking again. I'm going to start stuffing my face with food that's not healthy for me. I'm going to start doing a lot of things that are not don't good for this person. Don't forget to spend. Ooh, Come I, on. Don't ooh. forget the spending. Yes, I'll probably go spend mindlessly again. All of these bad, horrible, painful behaviors for me. I just don't want that anymore. Don't want it. So I choose to see what's right in the world. Not all the time, but today. Most of the time. Most of the time. Yeah. And right now, today, the only time that matters. Thank you for asking me that. That leads into the whole thing about... I think that it's a good distinction to to come to when you say, I choose to look at what's right versus what's wrong. If you choose to do that, it doesn't mean you don't get it. Correct. Like we understand what's wrong, but what we are choosing to actively work on is what's going right. And so that takes up the strategy of what we're doing. We see what's going wrong, but eventually if you keep working toward what is going right, you process that differently and you move forward in a very productive way. You can't find solution if you don't see what's right You're in the world. You're working the problem. Exactly. If you look at that and go, okay, let's work the problem, people. Let's work the problem. Exactly. We can sit around and, you know, a lot of times people want to go, well, I want to know, you know, why they're acting like that. Well, to a certain extent, you do. But what you want to get moving on more than anything is getting people moving in a productive path. They can go back and kind of say, well, I, this you know, this triggered this or that triggered sure. that, but this is what I'm going to do about it. Before we leave this, so I wanted to get mm-hmm. into, we were talking about the pain and the dopamine. I like to think of for myself or for my students or whatever, I go, when you're uncomfortable or you're in pain, that's a call to action. Your body is doing that, right? If your body's in pain, Listen what is it, that? Right. It's a call to action. What's it telling you? Something's happening. Listen. I need you to get. So if you kind of, A, look at the notion that that pain is a call to action, it shifts. I, re, I And I specifically, I remember one time I had like I had torn rotator cuff and I just this worst pain in my shoulder and my daughter and her husband, the kids were coming over and my daughter called and said, Hey, do you have any Claritin or any antihistamine there? Cause Jake's, you know, this, I said, yeah, I think I do. So I was in the, when I was in the process of looking for that Claritin and everything, all of a sudden I had this thought, 
oh my God, I, I wasn't, I wasn't feeling that pain. I wasn't feeling, and I said, see, if you shift to purpose, <laughs> and just this last weekend was on a couple of stages of the Camino de Sonoma. So hmm. it goes from Sonoma ultimately to Fort Ross, and I did a couple of stages. And I was walking behind these two women, and I just, they were talking about adult sons they have. And they're just not happy. They're not happy. And they were just talking to them about And they said, I just told my son, you just need to go, you know, you need to be happy. I want you to do what you're... And all of a sudden it came to me and I went, if you make happiness the goal, you're not going to get there. Mm -hmm. What makes people happy? Purpose. Mm -hmm. So instead of saying to your sons, I want you to be happy, say... Find some purpose. If you're trying to make money as a first priority, you probably don't. Right? Right. I mean, so it all goes in there. So we're looking at these outcomes as what we want to go to instead of hitting the process. What is the process to accumulating or being wealthy? What is the process to happiness? It's not sitting around hoping you're going to be happy or hoping you're going to financially, you know, have your act together. It is the process of how you do that that gains that outcome. Sure. And that purpose is such a big part of it. Oh. Right? The two you, most important days in your life are the day you're born and the day you figure out why. The, the research that I've done over, like literally since 2005 is when I finished my doctorate. And since that time, I mean, I have listened to hundreds of stories, read the bazillions of stuff, done my own research, done lots of stuff. And people may not articulate it, but you hear in their story, when you say to somebody, just stop for a second, I'm going to give you 10 minutes, tell me your story. And when you hear that they have found a way to serve, a way to be purposeful. I don't care if it's, you know, I finally went to the, and I, and I rescued a dog and that changed me. You know, why? They found yes. a source of yes. purpose. They found a way of giving back. Yes. So you see that over and over again. And that's the thing that is part of the problem with the COVID hangover is we are focusing on what went wrong, what went wrong. Well, there's a lot of stuff that went wrong, and you can blame a whole bunch of people. But here's the other thing we've learned. People love to be in community, and that was a tough thing to go through when we didn't have that connection. And I try to remind people that we're pack animals to begin with. So as pack animals, when you separate the herd and you isolate them in a cave, That's right. it's not going to be pretty. Well, especially when you put them in the cave with their very closest people that perhaps they've been struggling to have connection with. And bad Wi-Fi. You mean connection <laughs> right? as in like Wi-Fi? Yeah, I was thinking more the inner human connection, but oh, sure, oh. sure, we could talk about Wi-Fi. Yeah. It gave us an opportunity to learn how to recreate that connection with the people that we live with. And one of two things happened. We were either successful with that or we were not. So we either deepened, right? When, when I think of what came out of COVID in my family, my relationship with Amy, my relationship with Miles, my relationship with Lucas has rocketed to the fourth dimension. I have a closer relationship with the people that I live with because COVID happened for us. 
we took that opportunity to get to know each other in a whole different way. Because what we realized when we were out there being human doings all of those years leading up to COVID is it forced us back into becoming human beings again. We had to get to know each other again. We didn't know each other. I couldn't tell you what my wife's favorite color was, my boys, their favorite food. We had to learn each other again. And we use the COVID experience to do that. It's not to say there weren't challenges, sure, 100%, right? But yeah. it's not all rainbows and butterflies. But if I'm sitting here hot washing with the both of you of how COVID happened for us, it created a closeness in our family. There was a lot of hard stuff we had to go through during COVID. Mm-hmm. We've talked about it on the show, and today's not the day to rehash that all. But what ultimately came from it was a new connection to that tribe that is my immediate family in my home that I was too busy to get to know for so many years. Right. What a gift. What was that like for you, Joyce? What was it like for your family? Very interesting, too, because I think what you, I don't really see this, but I could see with my children a lot of times there just get so many activities or so many distractions. Sure. They're distractors. And so they move the family apart from each other rather than bringing them in to each other. And I think for me, with regard to the COVID situation, from a healthcare perspective, too, I did, I will say, I had a very hard time with regard to the immunization situation because I know what I know. And that was a very hard thing for me. I also spent time recently doing some programming with ICU, respiratory ICU nurses, and seeing what those people had to endure Mm -hmm. because of people who were not immunized and, you know, going through and all that. That was a, that was a tough thing for me. I'm pretty, um, what do I say, empathetic and I can roll with a lot, but that was, that was tough for me. Yeah the immunized or not immunized you know I had one student one time in class and we did we did come back face to face but we were wearing masks and so if they were not immunized they they had to be tested a couple of times a week so I had this one he was you know probably in his 20s a little older student so anyway he said something to me uh, oh I, I saw coming in on Sunday night a thing where he wasn't tested he hadn't done his test so class happened on Tuesday, so I said, you know, Jim, whatever, and he talked to you. So I said, hey, you didn't get your test or whatever. He goes, oh, you know, I forgot to get it. I said, well, I can't have you in class because, you know, you're not immunized and you need to get this. And he said, oh, okay. And I said, I just got to ask you, how come, what is your choice? Why didn't you get immunized? And he said, oh, you know, I'm young. I'll get through it. I would. I said, yeah, but, you know, we still don't know a lot about this virus. And I was talking a little bit about it. And he looked at me and he said, you know, Dr. Michael Flynn, do you, do you really understand what you're talking about? <laughs> and I, I just, I said, excuse me? And he said, do you, do you really know? Okay, I'm going to stop this conversation right now because... I just don't even, I mean, like my heart's yeah, standing I can't, right I can't now. Go I, there. I, I cannot even start this, but yeah. you are not allowed back into class until you are tested negative because I can't put you. Expo- but those kinds of things, I will say that was tough. That part that left of it, a mark on you. That, that part of it was tough. Is it that so many people were misled? And tell me more about what your hard time with that was. Cause I know, you know what you know, as right. I know what I know, because I have relationships with people like you who've educated me 
on what I need to know. Right. What was so hard about that for you? I think it was just what I came to recognize, again, is that fear factor. Mm. Because of all the things that they had been told and thought was this and everything, they were in fear. Viruses are, or any bacteria, anything, they're smart. Human beings are surviving machines. Sure. These viruses so the are virus. surviving yeah. machines. Right. So COVID-19 is the 19th version of that, and it's going to mutate just like we can as people to survive. So it's going to mutate and do whatever it can to survive. So it's, so there eventually will be a 20th. Oh, there are well, the SARS and they've, you know, the sure. Delta, the Omicron, all that kind well, of stuff is, that went this on. This is why it's not killing as many people is because the virus recognized that it was killing itself by killing its host. So it's evolved. It's evolved all that. But yeah. it, so it comes from all that. But the point is that it, it acts in a way that keeps it alive. Hmm. And I would say to people, you know, in all honesty, we, there are viruses that will live in us for our lifetime. And we're not really sure if you get this virus and it really takes hold because we know it's multi-organ issues, right? And we don't know what this is going to do over time. So that was the other thing too, that I get worried about people. I mean, look at the long haulers, you know, look at, they talk about cognitive, all those kinds of things. So I think it was a couple of things to me I, uh, when I understood the fear behind people, I got a little less judgmental mm-hmm. <laughs> and tried to be more helpful. This is not about what's happening. To, this is what you can do sure. for other people mm-hmm. to save other people. And that, I think, was also upsetting to me where people like kind of hunkered down with, nobody's going to tell me what to do. Nobody's going to... I get it. I kind of get where they're coming from. But then again, moving into, but what can you do to help other people? Right. And the knowledge that's out there. So that was, to me, more, you know, our kids are out of the house and moved away. It was hard not seeing our grandchildren. We had our son had to put his wedding off for a year. Sure. Even when he did have his wedding, there were people who didn't come. Um, And, you know, and again, having the empathy and the understanding, do I want to break a friendship with this and making the choice not to, you know, the all I know that sounds weird, but there's a lot that goes with that. Where oh, there's a oh, lot of that, that really came about. You know, this is a big thing again. You know, for our son and, and his lovely wife, who we think is fantastic, but yeah, just putting it off, get rescheduling it twice, and then again when you got there who was going to come and mm-hmm. who wasn't, but sustaining friendships with people and mm-hmm. understanding their fear around that. So all that to me was a lot of, even with our own children, I some disagree. I mean, everybody got immunized, but just disagreements with how comfortable they were to be around other people, sure. us and everything. So I said one time when we had a family meeting and you know, what's shocker, like you actually communicate with your family. We actually got together on a Zoom meeting and said, we need to talk this over. Our daughter said, we want to talk this over. And I said, I'm so happy because I almost get emotional about this. I said, I will not let this virus destroy 
42 years. My husband and I have been married 42 years. We had children a year after we got married. I will not let this virus destroy what we have built. And uh, what I got to see, that communication, how crazy is that? Sure. People got to say what they wanted to say. We understood some of their fears. They understood some of our points of view. We got it together. And you came together and you compromised. And everybody came together and said, yes, that's right. We have this wonderful family. We're not going to let this destroy what we have worked toward. I think uh, Dr. Joyce should take her show on the road to Washington. I, <laughs> I second that. Are you are you nominating? 20, 20, I, I nominate, yeah. That's what we all need to be doing more of is to take kind of the personal responsibility to up our game and do what you and your family did in the way of talking through and compromising. And as you were telling your story, I was in my head in my story with my various parts of the family and various Zooms that we had and talking about things and people with very different perspectives and worries and concerns. And how do you navigate that? How do you talk through that? Mm -hmm. And so much of so much of what I think is missing in in the political sphere today, to not not necessarily to go there for very long because it's nuclear, is that very thing, is that very concept to have the conversation, to listen to the other party, sure. and then ultimately to compromise. Find the common ground. Let me just, real quick, I'm sorry to yeah. interrupt, but let me just say that I think a really important point is, too, we didn't agree on everything. No. But that doesn't mean you can't come to solution right. and can't move forward. Right. And I think that's the big thing that everybody thinks there has to be. There are still things I didn't really agree with them on, but I accepted and I adapted because the ultimate part of keeping our family together was more important. Mm -hmm. And that's the other thing, too, when people think it's either one or the other. When you look at, for example, with post-traumatic growth, even the notion of post-traumatic growth it can live simultaneously with pain and grief. Just because you're feeling pain or you're grieving or you don't agree with it doesn't mean you haven't grown. It doesn't mean that. We think there's so these separate things. They live together. And over time, things evolve as a result of that. But I just really want to make it, even with, you know, I deal with faculty or whatever. My husband, we don't always have to completely agree, but we respect. Sure. Yes. Well, humans, and we have a scientist in the room, so please correct me on any of my science if it's not correct. Humans are the first species on planet Earth who figured out that, I don't have to see every other tribe of human beings as a threat to my existence, and therefore I must kill them. Like every other, it seems like, meat-eating animal on planet mm -hmm. Earth does. We're the first species on Earth that figured out that we could actually collaborate together. We could communicate with one another. We can cooperate in ways that makes life on this planet a little bit easier for all of us if we do that. It doesn't mean we need to change the way each tribe sees the world, but if we're open to communicating, if we're open to collaborating, life can be a lot easier instead of a lot harder. And, and going back to what you were sharing before about the two most important days in life and finding purpose, there are all sorts of, of folks in this, in this world that you could go pay a small fortune to try to help extract from you what your why is. 
we're going to help you do three quarters of the heavy lifting right here today. It's very simple. We all have a very common why when we tap into it, and that's to be of service to our people, to be helpful to our people. When I figured out that the quickest way to get out of my head is by getting into somebody else's heart, my entire oh, life perfect. changed. Oh, I love it. That's perfect. My, that was the whole premise behind writing the book Financial Sobriety. That's why you joined Geb Hart Group. Exactly. Not Geb Head Group, <laughs> but Geb Hart Group. When this guy modeled for me what that looked like, which was the first day I ever walked into his office, right? I was broke. I was beyond broke. I was broken. And I went to see this guy. And as, you know, uh, I've met my share of financial advisors in life, I, I would say, right? I, more than most. More than most. It, it's somewhere to the tune of 10,000 of these guys I've met in my life. My expectation of going to him and dumping all of my story on his lap was for him to get this carrot grater out and tell me all the things I did wrong with my money and I could have, should have done this. But instead, he got out of his own head by getting into my heart and expressing this thing called compassion through empathy by listening. And it was an experience I had never had with another man before. It blew me away. It, it just it cracked the door open that maybe my problems weren't the story that I keep telling myself. Maybe the problem is that I keep telling myself this story over and over and over again. And maybe I can get out of that story every once in a while by getting into Joyce's heart, by getting into Jim's heart by getting into somebody else's heart and just listening. You know, I sometimes look at that too where, you know, you just have things in life that just bring you to your knees. Yes. I mean, I like you can, I can get emotional about thinking about how that happens and there's different things that just bring you to your knees. Yes. And you just realize this is bigger than anything I have ever dealt with before in my life. And if I am going to survive this, mm -hmm. you know, down the road, you think, I, and that's what I work, when I work with people, I always go, they go, what's going to happen? What's gonna, I go, I don't know what's going to happen. Right. right now, we just got to get you survive. We're just through the survival part. Triage. But I remember, like, when you talked about that, I had that experience, you know, with my death event and mm -hmm. I came back and I was trying to figure out what's going to go on. And I was just so overwhelmed with being told what I couldn't do and the fear, the fear is just going to happen again and all of that. And I remember to this day, I can remember literally in night's the worst time because it's quiet and you just keep thinking about it. Wow. Look what happened to me. What if this happens again? I have children. And I remember literally going down on my knees hmm. and just said, God, I can't live like this anymore. I cannot live. You have got to take this away from me. I can't. You have got to take this <laughs> right. from me. You've got to do something about it. You, I'm beg I am begging you. I can't. You can. Will yeah. you please yeah. help me? <laughs> and that I went to bed, slept the best I ever did. Yeah. The wow. next day, it changed. And it started putting me on this notion of... You, and I was such a, you know, I'm the mom, the marathon runner, the mother of three, you know, had advanced degrees, all this kind of stuff. And I just thought, you are not going to get through this alone. Mm -hmm. And what I came to learn, it's dangerous to go through this alone because there's a lot of people like you talked about that have pieces to this puzzle that you don't. And when you ask them, What's the piece do you have, and how do I actually fit that in? 
And that gives you the big picture. So your financial thing, there's other personal things in life that we've been through, but I just remember, see that utter fear and pain that brings you to your knees is a call to action. Is ultimately a blessing. Over time, you're not, not, not in the moment. <laughs> That's why I tell people they go, "Is this going to get?" I don't don't even go there right now. Just don't go there right now. Let's just go. Let's stage it. And that's what MetaHab does too. MetaHab stages you through that, so you recognize the first stage is just like getting over it, getting out of ICU, getting to talk to somebody about your financial problems, whatever it is. The first stage is just moving day to day to day. And that's what, all you need to focus on. Right. What, what you call acute recovery. Right. I have a question. Mm-hmm. I look around the world today and I see people being brought to their knees. They're at that critical moment, that moment of desperation. For me, it was, I like to describe it as a moment of incomprehensible demoralization. Yep. I felt the lowest I have ever felt in my life, and it brought me to my knees. I see a fork in the road, and I see people who have made the choice to reach out for help, to have that willingness, and then I see people who it just takes them out. Mm-hmm. What's the difference? What happens right there at that fork that leads one to absolutely just get taken out and a handful, it seems, reach out for that help. They reach for what's outside their comfort. They make the positive changes. That juncture, I, I just before we move too far, I want to talk about that moment and how can maybe someone who's listening today who's there, who doesn't believe that they have any other choice but it's going to take me out, how does one shift? What's that different? I, I don't know why I was lucky. I don't know why I was somebody who was able to recognize the destructive path that I was on and make another choice. But too many people I spend time with don't believe it's possible for them. They look at my story and say, yeah, that's not me. I can't do that. You just, I think if I may nominate a answer to your question, you just said it. They, okay. they believe I can't. Without the blind spotter in the room, that's where I think the grace comes from, is when there's a blind spotter, whatever whatever you want, to, a person, place, thing, book, whatever, God, that presents the possibility, because if, if we're going to use the, the tried and true story of you coming into my conference room that day, you saw no possible way out of that, and we just dumb luck happened to get together that day. So if the person can't see, as you're saying that, I can think in my own story. When I was 18, I was like, you know, I'd been told since I was six, I can't. Dr. Bersani standing over the table looking at me going, well, with your hip and your leg thing, you know, you can't play perspective. You can't play contact sports. So if all you've been told is you can't, well, until somebody tells you you can, that's all you know. Is there science behind that? 
Is there something? Oh, yeah, there's but it's you know, that's where you come in with like the motivation. And that's why I always say the motivation is the tricky part of it. Right. We can get you into the strategy of what to do, but the motivation, the why and to sustain that is just very difficult. I think all of what you're saying is true. Again, that's the part where like in with MetaHab and Stage 2 is that turning point. Hmm. The saying yes, where mm-hmm. people will say, I have no idea how I'm going to pull this off. I have no idea why I'm going to do it, but I am going to make the decision to move forward. And once that decision is made and they start amping up stuff, major things happen. Now, why is that made? Listen to a bunch of people's stories because I was in such pain. I decided I needed to do something about it. And you had been put in a position to go meet somebody and you took it. There's a lot of times when people are like, you know, this, this story with God saying, you know, about the, the guy who drowned, you know, I, love I that. Sa- yeah, I sent, you know, God, what did you, you know, I drowned. He goes, well, I sent you a boat, a helicopter, but I did, and you didn't take it. Right. So some of it is listening to what you have. The other part of it is, again, goes to the notion of a couple things, purpose. There's a reason for me to say yes to life. There's a reason, even if it is the thinnest sliver of hope that life is going to over time resurrect itself in a way that is going to work for me. That's one thing. So recognizing hope, purpose, and the other part of that is too background on people, that they have people behind them that didn't just come up yesterday. They are their longtime friends, family member, religious organizations, a team they were on, whatever. But somebody came forward and said, you know, yeah, this is bad, but I'm I'm here. I'm here. Let's move. Let's move. Well, where am I going? I don't know. Just get up and get going. I mean, just so many times you hear that from people. But that is precisely why, too, when you're raising children and you're starting to have them learn about relationships and all that, they have to learn about what these relationships are because these are the safety nets. Mm -hmm. (laughs) These are the safety nets that you have. So a whole variety. Sometimes people are just angry, and that anger is the motivation. There's all sorts of things, but the best thing I like to do, and especially if people are stuck, I just say, tell me your story. And as I hear, like, for example, I have students who come in and they're struggling, and I bring them into my office, and I say, hey, tell me your story. And I will hear these, like, amazing things these people did to get to college or their first generation or whatever. And then I just quietly look at them and go, why are you worried about this? You got this. hundred yeah. percent. You got this. Look in my eyes. Look in my eyes. You've got this. Yeah. You have attained so many other things. This is just a – and once you – do and, and again, I you know, words are overused a lot, but this is a great one, but I really like it. It is the empowerment. I am giving you back. I am having you recognize what you already have. Again, my little fifth grade brain here, you're simply letting that student know you believe in them. And is that the spark? 
that is part of it. And they'll tell you that that nobody has ever no talked ever to me like this like before. before. And I go, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't get why you're worried about this. You went through this, and you're worried about this course. No, 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 no. You've got this, but just it's but a then blind I, spot. But the other thing too is then mm-hmm. you have to remind them, you know, you you have to put in strategies to succeed. There's no question you will do this and you can do this well, but you have to put in strategies to sure. succeed. Oh, of course. And but there so has to be a belief first. There has that to be I that can, belief. And that's what you're giving to that student. Yeah. What and, an incredible gift. And there are times, you know, guys, they're just, you know, I remember when I was first studying this, you know, the old bell-shaped curve, you know, on one end, you're going to get people who you basically do nothing to, and they just come back because that's the way they are. And then you get on the other end of the bell-shaped curve, people, whether it was the situation was chronic and or so destructive that it just took them out. It just did. Most of us are, and those people, you just help them manage their pain. Yeah. And they, and it's just tough. And maybe they'll come back, whatever, but it's just tough. Most of us are somewhere in the middle of that bell shaped curve. Yeah. So if you can bring that up, but yeah. Pain is an incredible motivator. I mean, it just, it just seems like everybody has a different pain threshold of when they finally say, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. Enough is enough. And when you when you look at the the storyline of the world, right, this COVID hangover that we're talking about a little bit, I mean, from just an economic standpoint, the COVID hangover that was 2022 from an economic standpoint, right? You and I have talked about the problems that all this free money during COVID created that came about as 2022, where all of a sudden now the Fed's pulling the brakes on things, and yet we still have... <laughs> Another policy and government spending like no tomorrow in that conflict. A different part of the hangover, an economic part of the hangover. The economic, Mm -hmm. right? The relationship with money part of the hangover, right? I mean, it was a hell of a party and somebody turned the lights off. Exactly. And you and I spent plenty of time in studio talking about that problem, but we also presented solution and spent more of our time talking about solution. Thank goodness. Oh, absolutely. And, And it's just a matter of how. Our own relationship with money needs to be handled as a result of some of these challenges we face in the world. Right. So when we look at the COVID hangover, the 2022, it's had a profound effect on these three relationships we talk about here in studio a lot, right? Mm -hmm. That relationship we have with money. You've shared a lot about how the COVID experience affected your relationship with people, Mm -hmm. how you saw people. And then, of course, ultimately, that relationship we have with self. We have a choice of seeing what's right, focusing on solution. I'm just super grateful you're here in studio to help explore that with us. Wow, that is a lot of information to process, I'm sure you'll agree, especially as you relate the COVID hangover to its impact on the economy, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and how it all plays on our psyche. So we're going to wrap this episode here give you some time to really process how the past few years have impacted you and let you know we have some suggestions on how you can address the trauma that may have been caused and how to work to cure the COVID hangover with more from Dr. Joyce Michael Flynn in our next episode in two weeks. If you like what you heard, leave us a review and be sure to subscribe. And check out our website, yourfinancialsobriety.com. Thanks again for listening today. 
Here to help you find more clarity, confidence, and capability along your journey into financial sobriety, I'm Matthew Grishman. And I'm Jim Gebhardt. Be intentional with your money. Jim Gebhardt is a registered representative of and securities offered through Brokers International Financial Services, LLC, member SIPC. Jim Gebhardt and Matthew Grishman are investment advisor representatives of Gebhardt Group Incorporated, a registered investment advisor. Brokers International Financial Services, LLC, and Gebhardt Group Incorporated are not affiliated. The opinions in this podcast are for informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or investment recommendations. To determine which investments or financial advice may be appropriate for you, consult a financial advisor prior to investing. Any reference to market performance is based on historical information and there is no expressed or implied guarantee of future performance. Opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect those of Brokers International Financial Services, LLC. The topics discussed and opinions given are not intended to address the specific needs of any listener. Gebhardt Group Incorporated does not offer legal or tax advice. Listeners are encouraged to discuss their financial needs with the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstance.